Hi, this is This Week on Sci-Fi Talk. I'm Tony Tolado. And Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast where science fiction, fantasy, horror, and comics teach us about our own humanity. And it's really kind of guiding us to what our humanity really is. It seems to be an ever-changing definition as I get older and older. We started the week off with Resident Evil Death Island, and their voice talent talked to me about something quite common in recording for animation. How do you keep um, how do you keep it fresh every time you go in to do something like this? Sweet. That's such a good question. I I honestly love this question because a a lot of actors jobs are to go into a character that they've done many times before. with with Jill, I mean, it, I actually find it to be pretty easy because she's always doing something wild and crazy. So for me, it's the process is more about, OK, where is she in her timeline? Because she's been played before. She's such a longstanding character. Where is she and what she's experienced? What hasn't happened? What has happened? And how are those things going to influence just her mental state and where she's at? Um, so I do a lot of trusting the people around me because obviously we have amazing teams that come in and go, OK, this is where she's at. This is what happened. And I just kind of take that and internalize and go, okay, great. From what I've experienced that I've performed, as well as other things that I've seen, um, you get a clearer picture of the story and you get to kind of jump in. Resident Evil always keeps it exciting too. It oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I throw a dart at a dartboard and figure it out from there. No, uh, we, it's, then to, to your point, it's, it's a collaboration with the production team. You know, we know these characters very well and we've had the opportunity to kind of live in that space and, and bring them to life for, for a lot of us. And it's, um, it's looking at where they are in their life, looking at where they've been changed by the events that have already transpired and then finding the unique flavor of the day of what we feel the character will be feeling in that moment. And then part of that is the context that we give from the production team and the director. And uh, it's, it's a, like, like, like any good performing gig, you get to, find it through a combination of research memory and collaboration with the production team. And, uh, and then you get to get to play in the space and, and, and make something cool and memorable. Yeah. I, I feel similarly, cause it's interesting, like with, uh, with, like with Claire's character, like I've, you know, played her video game, TV show, and now film. So it's like, it was interesting because it's, um, you know, I've always thought about like what, like, whereas like, you know, obviously when you have an origin story, you get to kind of have the beginnings of where, where this character would come from. And like, you really have to think about like where you start. So you have somewhere to go and somewhere to end. And there is no end too, right? Like it feels like we're, we're, you know, there's no, um, there's no finalizing where this might go. So you want to kind of have like a character arc. So I, again, similarly, just always think about like, where did I start? Where was the initial maybe things that my character came in with? Has my character grown since then? Has my character not grown since then? Is this a weakness that sits in my character always? That's like a need to fill. And so like, I kind of think about that all throughout the process and then think about it within the timeline and, you know, obviously keeping it canon, all of it's been canon at this point. So it's like thinking about it through that. And so I've noticed with, you know, Claire specifically, um, she was very young. She was like 19. And then like, as the years, you know, transpire, like, I also have to think like, this is like a real human. How would a real 19 year old act? How would a real, you know, 20 something year old act, you know, and kind of be realistic in that way. And then the rest of it is just based on obviously the script and what's going on and, you know, all that. But for me, I'm, I always get like 
deep on like the inner workings of what is she feeling <laughs> deep inside, even though nobody else sees it. Like I make sure to think about all that stuff. So mm. yeah. that is available now wherever you get your content. So check it out. There is more Sapphire talk. So stay tuned. On Trek Tuesday, I launch Trek Chats, which has interviews from, from previous Star Trek specials I did or interviews. And in this case, I have Kate Mulgrew, Jonathan Frakes, and Armin Shimmerman on this particular edition. And we'll start off with Jonathan Frakes and then Armin Shimmerman in a clip from Trek Tuesday's Trek Chats. When I first went over to Discovery, which is now five years ago, yeah. um, that group felt very much like Next Gen to me and they were eager and they were mostly curious you know they quiz me about the conventions and the crews or what are the fans like and what you know <laughs> so it was i was there as a director but i was also there as a, uh, a a liaison to the i guess to the family and and now that we're i'm actually in the middle of i'm, I'm doing the first half of the season finale on five ten days finishing it up i have a, a couple more days i go up on thursday to, back to Toronto. It's the show has gotten back on track. It's like an action adventure show again. Discovery. They, they gave me those the foam rubber painted blue and said, "Make it look lethal." And I went, "You got to be kidding!" And um, <laughs> we did our best. And and then they put us in 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 costumes that were laughable. And the makeup itself is laughable. Yeah. Um, and, and so that that didn't help either. So. What we tried to do, the, the core Ferengi group, we tried to make them as real and as human and uh, as sympathetic as we possibly could. It's amazing the things that Star Trek teaches us really on a daily basis about what it's like to be a human being. Uh, certainly Spock, through him, as he tries to kind of blend his human and his Vulcan side together, or reason or emotion, if you will, it's always an adventure to do that. And it was very instrumental to me when I was growing up in kind of figuring out who I was. Indie comics, there's some really good ones out there. One of them is called Hex. And I spoke to the creators, Lindsay Forrest and Kelly Sue Milano. Talk about how this kind of came together. Uh, you know, I mean, this is women writing producing comics. That's so. right. That's right. Well, uh, Lisa K. Weber, who is the artist of this and, and the concept creator of Hex 11, and I've been friends for a long time. Um, we ended up just coincidentally in L.A., living in L.A. Uh, at the same time in about 2014, and she and I were having a conversation about... Um, She's been a freelance illustrator for a long time, and she was starting to get kind of burnt out, you know, kind of doing other people's stuff and just kind of losing her motivation. And I was like, well, and also talking about, like, as an artist, you're kind of your own bottleneck. Like, there's only so much work you can take on, so there's only ever so much money you're going to make. And how do we solve those problems? And I said, well, if you could do anything, what would you do? And she said, oh, I would make comics. And I was like, oh, what? why? Do people read those? Like, I am not, it was not in the loop. And she's like, oh, yeah, totally. And I said, well, do you have some idea about it? And she's like, oh, yeah, I've got this I've been, idea I've been working on for like 10 years. And I was like, oh, crazy. Okay, well, tell me it. And so she lays this whole thing out, and it was fully fleshed out, like the whole world, she had characters. And then in talking through it, I realized that a lot of her, because I'm familiar with her art, of course, that a lot of the stuff that she had been drawing was actually part in her mind of this larger 
hex world she had been creating. So um, I said, well, this has legs. This is really an amazing concept. Why don't we just put some structure around it and see what we get, you know? And so we did that. And within a couple of months, or maybe even, yeah, about, a, about two months, we really realized we were going to need a writer. And so... My husband said, I've got the perfect person for you. You have to call Kelly Sumilano. She had worked with him at uh, an ad agency in L.A. And he said she just quit this job here. She was like an admin. And she's just quit this job to go take these um, TV writing classes at UCLA. And we were like, okay, cool. So we call Kelly Sue. We get together. And it was like kismet. Her and Lisa just clicked. And they did have all the same ideas and about the stuff. They had the same influences. And it was just this... It was really kind of a crazy, magical thing. And so the three of us got together and in earnest started working on the actual layout of the book and the script and such uh, late April of 2014. We had issue one done by August. We incorporated the business in August. We already had a table set up at Kamikaze, which is now called the LA Comic Con, uh, in October of 2014. And so we took what money we had between us, like out of our pockets, and we bought 150 books we got printed um, from a local printer in LA. Um, it cost like $550 or something, which we were like, oh man, this is a lot of money. Um, but we thought this will last us like three shows. This will be good. Um, went to Kamikaze and sold out of all of our books by noon on Sunday. Wow. And so we were like, what? Okie dokie, I guess yeah. this, I guess we need to go make issue two now. And uh, then it's really just been a snowball since then. We um, have created an incredible fan base, and they ask and demand more, and we are glad to, to give it up. So okay. That was on the Comic-Con floor that I talked to them. It was a good, good time. And really talented ladies. The artwork is really spectacular. And there is more this week on Sci-Fi Talk, so stay tuned. And we close the week off with Time Capsule by Episode 395. And F.M. Scheer, the composer for Being Human, and speaking of humanity and finding it, this is how he approached it. I really want to push with the friendship. I think the friendship was the big thing between those three characters. Absolutely. And, more, more, and that's part of what you say about the humanity, about the, uh, having to deal at. It's not about the monster. It's more the monster who really want to be human. And I thought that was something I had to find something with the friendship and something also more uh, earthy. May I say that? Earthy, you know, yeah. grounded. Actor Vincent D'Onofrio talked about his directorial debut with me and another reporter a few years ago. I've always liked horror films uh, since I was a kid. I mean, it, you know, I like them that they're, you, you can make, you know, anything you want. And it's, it's never really taken very seriously, but it's also, but it's taken seriously in like an as entertainment value, and it's not critiqued in the way other films are, like comedies or drama, dramas, or or even sci-fi. You know, I think horror has this kind of way of uh, you know you have to have to take the leap, you know, with it whenever you watch them. Because they're naturally just, in the end, absurd, you know? Most of them, I would say, 99% of them. And so that, it was interesting. I mean, ours was just a, started out as a kind of experiment just to see if we could get away with it. You know, we shot it for 100 grand, all in, even in post and everything. And then we shot it in 12 days. And it was, you, you know, we did it without a casting director and 
I thought of the idea, and then two months later, we were shooting it in my yard in upstate New York. Yeah. On kind of a cool spring night at the Tribeca Film Festival red carpet, I spoke to Katie Lotz a few years ago about her dual role in The Machine. How did you prepare to play first the AI expert and then eventually the AI itself? Well, I did a, lot, a little bit of research on kind of just what's happening in like uh, with all the cybernetics and like artificial intelligence technology and trying to kind of find it. it was, it's difficult to try to learn about it. Um, but I wanted to know what was going on and what was like the new developments and what they're studying. So I did a lot of that for the Ava character. Um, and for the machine was a little bit more difficult character-wise just because it's uh, everything from posture, from my voice. I, I wanted to really make the two characters different, so I had to kind of really make that distinction, um, both physically and like just the way that the character speaks, the way that she reacts emotionally. I mean, she's a machine, and her development is completely different, and she goes through an aging process. So it, that one was a lot of work. The machine character was a lot of work. Now, do you have any training in like movement, or did you do any kind of special movement oh, for her? Yeah. Well, I, I started as a dancer, oh, and go. then I was a martial artist. Oh, yeah, I got to use a lot of that, both actually, a little bit of dancing and um, some, I did like Muay Thai and uh, like Krav Maga and that came in handy a lot with doing the stunt work, so. Yeah, yeah. Great, great. And Time Capsule finished off with an interview with Sharon Taylor about her series, Reese the Series, and the inspiration for her character, Vamara. Lady Macbeth is one of the muses I use for the character. Ah. I actually, um... I'm a, I, I come from a theater background. Yeah. And I, I just finished a Shakespeare play on, on the weekend, actually. So which one? We did As You Like It. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fun one. Oh, yeah. It's funny. And then um, I've never actually played Lady Macbeth before, but I've done it as a monologue. And uh, and I've used that character as as a muse from Mara. It's the ambition. That, like Lady Macbeth is full of ambition and is willing to have blood on her hands. Mm-hmm. in order to get what she wants. So, therefore, I see the two women as being very similar. And, and the thing is, she uh, she institutes uh, the sect as the official religion of Elysia. So, uh, you know, I guess she kind of made a little bit of a deal with the devil a little bit too there. Definitely. I mean, in order for her to be on the throne, she had to make some very horrific choices. And uh, in doing so, yes, there's blood on her hands. But um, the choices she made were, were pretty br- were pretty brutal, and the stakes are high for her too because she didn't realize that Reese is alive. Reese is a very big threat to her throne. I guess that's. I mean, that's we haven't we don't know all the details yet, but I guess hope I think we'll hear something about that in the first episode. Definitely, yeah. So um, you know, we don't have to you don't you don't have to give anything away. But the second episode actually is where. Uh-huh. You'll actually learn more. Ah, okay, okay, interesting. So, uh, does she possess anything that you want, or her your character wants, or anything like that? She doesn't actually have anything on her possession that I want, mm-hmm. except for the fact that her knowledge. Ah, okay. okay. What she knows. Oh, there you go. Talk about what you wear. Uh, I mean, I've seen this, you know, cool crown that you're wearing, and kind of like this, uh, almost like a, you know. A bustier, but what do they call those? Oh, like a corset it's a kind corset, of thing. Yeah. corset. Yeah. yeah. The corset's really neat. I've never worn one before for any of the other shows I've worked on. 
Um, it's funny because on Stargate Atlantis, I was in a military uniform the whole time. Right, right. And then on, um, on Smallville, the first, um, in the premiere episode that was on last week, I was in Army Fatigues. <laughs> and then the episode that I shot last week, I was in Army Fatigues again. <laughs> but the episode I'm shooting next week on Smallville, I guess it was something a little more sexy, so. That's good. That's, that's very exciting to me. But the, um, Amara costume is probably the sexiest costume I've ever gotten to wear, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. The corset actually helps me get into character because it keeps you very rigid and upright, mm-hmm. which, um, I think works really well for a regal character. Oh yeah. It made, it made, um, it was challenging, <laughs> like sitting down in between takes and relaxing and hanging out and eating lunch and stuff like that, but. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's worth it's worth a little pain for the character. <laughs> a very interesting series that was ahead of its time, one of the first web series really to gain attention and eventually became a series on the Sci-Fi Channel as well. Those are just some of the ways we like to explore humanity here at Sci-Fi Talk. And I thank you all for listening to This Week on Sci-Fi Talk. If you like our podcast and what we're trying to do, you can subscribe to hear more of these episodes and so much more at Apple Podcast. This is Tony Tolado.